Welcome to the Vineyard Cleveland podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For further information and other resources, please visit vineyardcleveland.org. What I want to talk about today is God's glory. We, um, and when I say we, I mean kind of like the, the church in America, we we love to talk about God's love and grace, you know, and those are, those are inviting things about God that help us welcome other people in. Um, but if you, I'm, I worry sometimes as I have gone around to different churches and things that someone could come into a church and just really leave with the impression that we just serve a very friendly God. <laughs> Of course, that, that wouldn't be wrong. He is, he is, you know, he's friendly, and his kindness is one of the most important things about him. Without that, you know, we'd be lost, right? But we want, we're serving someone more than just a nice guy, right? And it, although he is very nice, and I, I, I'm going to be qualifying throughout. I probably will stop, you know, but just for everybody to know, I'm not saying he isn't ever, but I'm saying that the glory of God is very important to him, and also should be very important to us. And if God is just a nice guy, even if he's the very nicest guy, which he is, <laughs> we're missing something crucial about what it means to follow him, right? So I want to dive into that today. Um, there's not going to be a specific like passage that we're working through, although we'll reference many. I'll try to give you the references as I go. Some we might stop and read. Um, but just so you know, like the word glory is in the Bible over 300 times. It's not a word that we hardly ever use in our regular conversation, though. Like when, can you think of like when the last time you used that word is? Um, I, I really couldn't. Like what, what would I say like you know, glory, it's just not something that's on our tongue, but it is in the Bible all over the place. And so this is something that is very important to God, and it's something that he keeps on reminding me of as um, just over the past few months, I, um, probably the beginning of this, I read a book called God's Passion for His Glory. It's by John Piper, but it really includes a lot of stuff from Jonathan Edwards that he has updated, like, and, and brought forward again. And and uh, let me tell you, Jonathan Edwards, the, the Bible mentions glory like 300 times, and he, he hits almost all of them in that book in some way. There's a lot of footnotes, and he's like, and here, and here, and here, and here. And like, he shows all the examples of it, and I was really struck with it as I was reading, uh, like, just by the, the weight, the cumulative, like, force of all this talk about God's glory, and I um, have been encouraged to, like, dive into it more and, and see what that means and what it means for us. So, um, before I go any further, though, let me just pray and ask for God's blessing to be on this. I want to give you like a, a little snapshot of his glory. I want us to be able to feel that we're in the presence of glory this morning. So, Jesus, we praise you. You are wonderful and glorious as we were singing. Father, you are full of majesty and wonder. Spirit, we're in awe of the works that you do among us. I ask that you would fill our hearts with wonder and awe in your presence, that we would 
live in the light of your glory and that it would shape the things that we do, the ways that we think, and the state of our hearts. I ask God that your word would speak through me to people's hearts, that you would draw us closer to a true understanding, to true relationship, to a true picture of who you are, the wonderful God that we serve and walk with. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So because uh, glory is not a word that we use super often, I thought it would be helpful to talk about what it is. And it's another area, I, you know, I'm, I'm an English guy, if you know, I'm an editor by trade right now, and I like words that are precise and mean things. But glory, especially as it is translated in the Bible, it can translate a couple different words. I'm not going to go into the Greek and Hebrew, but it's important for us to know there's a couple different meanings that it talks about. So the Bible talks about God's glory that is just part of who he is, that is inherent in his character. It's the overflowing radiance of his excellence, you know, like no, there's no like superlative too big for it. It's just part of who he is, and it just flows out of him constantly. He is glorious, right? The, uh, the picture that I always think of is that uh, in, the, in Habakkuk 2.14, it says that the, the, where, where the world is headed, like the end goal of it, is that the earth will be full of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea, right? And um, that, you know, I, I'm not sure if you guys know how full of water the sea is, but the answer is very full. <laughs> I, um, I came across this verse one time in a funny situation. I was on a cruise ship, actually. I don't know if I've told you guys this story before. If I have, sorry, it's a good one. But I was on this cruise ship, and I was feeling like, just like the overstimulation of it. The cruise ship, like if you've ever been on one, it's like, a, it's like a celebration of excess. It's like you can eat all you want. If you pay a little more, you can drink all you want. It's like there's all this like entertainment and like, lights and flashing and events, and it's all just coming at you all at once. And I was out here on this boat in the middle of the ocean. I was feeling very trapped. Like, I have to, like, so, like, when I should have been sleeping, I was, like, just roaming around the boat, and I happened to stumble onto the very top floor where no one was. There was a little uh, wedding chapel up there on the very top, and it had, like, windows looking out over the ocean. It would be very romantic. But I was just like, oh, it's a place with no people and no lights. This is great. And it was unlocked, so I'm like, I'm just going in there. And I was like, well, maybe at the chapel there might be a Bible in here. There wasn't, but I found a Hebrew scriptures translated into English with the Hebrew on one side and the English on the other. And um, I was looking for the verse in Zephaniah that says that, you know, the Lord will quiet you with his singing and, and sing over you. And, but I ended up on the page before that in Habakkuk. And the word just kind of like, le- like it leaped off the page to me. It was this verse, the, the earth will be full of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. And if you happen to be in the middle of the ocean, when you read that and you can see it, it just hits a little bit different. And it was just a reminder to me that in spite of everything and all the distractions and things that set themselves up against God's glory or to steal or even counterfeit his glory, that where the earth is headed is the fullness of the glory of God. That's God's intent 
from the beginning in doing it. And uh, yeah, I don't think I'll ever forget that moment. It was like a, <laughs> it was not the place I would have expected to have a powerful encounter with God, but he met me where I was there. So we got that kind of glory, the, the existential glory of God that just is a part of who he is. But the scripture also talks about God receiving glory, like us giving glory to God even. And I want to really talk and dive in a little bit more to what that means because, um, you know, when the Bible talks about that, it's talking about the conscious awareness from like us, his creatures, of how good God is. So there's like his goodness that just is in him, but he also gets glory from us when we notice right? And when we begin to understand and, and walk in and respond, the only proper response being worship. So when we become aware of his like intrinsic excellence, we are glorifying God. But, and, and really that's, that's, why, that's why God made us, right? I don't know if any of you um, grew up learning a catechism. Any, anyone else? <laughs> um, if you do, there's a few, right? If you know the, um, maybe some of you have heard or read the Westminster Catechism, but the very first question is about why God made us. Like it says, and it says, what is the chief end of man? And that just means, what is the main purpose for which God made us? And the answer it gives is that we would honor and glorify God and enjoy him forever. Amen. Amen. And as I was reading that book I was mentioning by John Piper, he goes into a lot of detail about why those are like two sides of the same coin and not two different things, that we would honor God and glorify him and enjoy him forever, that those two go together. I'm not going to go too far into that today, but the point I'm trying to make is that the reason God made us is for his glory. He wanted to receive glory by making us, which is wild. I don't feel super glorious sometimes, you know, a lot of the time, but something about why God made me, you, all of us, why he instituted the church is so that he would receive glory. Okay, so it's important when we say that to also realize that God doesn't need anything from us, right? That's really important. He wasn't like, man, I don't feel glorious enough today. What can I do to feel more glorious? No, he, it's not like that. His, like I said, remember, his glory is like overflowing. It's like a radiance, like the sun. It just, it just keeps like coming out from him. And part of that was just like an expression of his glory was he made us, everything that we see, all of the glorious, wonderful things that we see in our world. It just was like a, an outflowing of his glory into the world. And um, the... <laughs> the cool thing about that is, is that, you know, there's not, a, there's not a pressure on us to be something from God, but also, like, it's both freeing and, like, a little sobering. It's like, oh, we were made to bring glory to God. Are the things that I'm doing in my life actually doing that? Am I allowing the things to be expressed, you know. So God didn't need to make us, right? He wasn't 
incomplete or in any way before he did it. He didn't become more glorious by making us. But part of his glory is that it just flows and expands out of him and, and it manifests itself, right? And this is, if you think about it, the same way that we might be glorious in the things we do. Like you might have the best singing voice ever, but it doesn't really matter unless you open your mouth and start to sing, right? The glory is not released. Like it's, it's intrinsic to who you are. It's not more or less, but it's not released until you start singing. And the same way with God, He's full of creativity and love and grace and all the things that he shows through us. But, you know, part of the coming out of his glory is that he makes us to, to show those things too. It's like a, if he didn't, it would have been like, you know, the greatest singer ever that never opened their mouth or the greatest artist that never picked up a paintbrush. So does that make sense about how God's glory works? He doesn't need us, but part of how glorious he is, is that glory just expands and explodes out of him in all directions, and we're part of the happy consequence of that. And also because of that, like I said, we have the same sort of capabilities in us to release glory. That he made us in such a way that we can reflect and pass on his glory through us to others and back to him. It's like this constantly refilling circle. It, it's, you know, there's human scientists have been searching for like perpetual motion, you know, but there's always something lost through friction, right? But in this, in this cycle, there's nothing ever lost. It's just we, like, God's glory comes to us, we recycle, we send it back to him, and it just keeps getting more. And that's the, that's the vision of God's glory here, right? So that's, that's why he made us. He made us to glorify him. He made us because that's who he is in his glory, is creative, is wonderful, is merciful. And all the things that he expresses towards us are expressions of that. Amen. So because that's God's main goal in making us, he is very passionate about seeing that goal be realized. Isaiah 48, 11, and God says that he will not share his glory with another. <laughs> um, man, Isaiah, the way Isaiah talks about God's glory, well, he, he saw it in a way that maybe some of us haven't. You know, we could talk about that uh, and like an expression like the way God reveals his glory in different ways to different people. But Isaiah saw with his physical eyes the glory of God, and he realized that something was very, very important about this. You know, and when God gave him that message, I will not share my glory with another, in the context of the Israelites starting to follow after other gods and statues made of stuff that would break and rust. He was drawing attention to something important there that... Um, that, and it's something that would be out of place if it was anyone except God, right? So, if you met a person that refused to share any glory with any other person ever, you would be like, what is wrong with them? We're all just people, right? And it's true that none of us have any claim to any more intrinsic glory or value than any other person, right? 
no matter how great you think you are, you're just as good as the next person, regardless of, you know, how tall you are, how rich you are, what color you are, you know. People that you totally disagree with, people that drive you crazy, they have the same intrinsic value as you. However, when God talks about his glory, it's okay for him to be selfish about it. And the reason why is because he, he is the source of all glory. It wouldn't, for him to share any of his glory with someone else would be a lie. It all originates from him, and he wants credit for all of it. And that's the proper response because that is the truth of how the world is. All the glory belongs to him already. Any that he is giving to us is just like an expression of him that's flowing through us and being revealed to other people so they can see it. And hopefully, so they can be pointed back to the true source. So lest we think that God is selfish or or somehow out of place in demanding all the glory and refusing to share it, no, he's just showing us the, the truth of how the world works. This is, you know, to, not to go into all the images the scripture goes into, but this is the God before whose breath the mountains melt like a wax candle. That's one of the, that's one of the pictures. The heavens, it says, declare the glory of God. When you see a sunrise or a sunset or a thunderstorm in a distant cloud or a meteor shower, you know, these are just pictures, they're images of the glory that is in God. And there's many, many more like it in the Bible. So, the, the question I started asking, you know, is as, as I was thinking about glory, what is it, if we could get a hold of this and remember while not forgetting all the friendly things about God either, right? That he's kind and merciful and all those things that are also very important. The two have to go together or neither one of them is good. But as we get a hold of what the glory of God means, what does it do to us? What does it do in our lives? And what I'm not suggesting is like that we have to like will ourselves to like live in the light of God's glory. The, the hope is that as we experience God's glory personally through us, we just learn to recognize what it is, and that as we stand in the presence of that, we end up being changed. You know, I spend a lot of time asking God, like, okay, what do you want from me? What should I do? You know, I've been, um, you know, trying to expand my business and career in this season. I'm like, okay, God, how are you leading me? What is this? What should I be doing? And I, I really have come to, like, realize that what God wants from me might be simpler than I thought. You know, maybe it's just that he wants to receive glory through my life, whatever I do. Maybe it's just that whatever I'm doing, I should ask, you know, is this releasing God's glory into the world? Because all these, um, all these heroes of the faith that we read about in the Bible, as, I, as I've been looking at them, it seems that to me that the main thing they have in common is they just understand where glory belongs. 
I've been, uh, I've been, I found this Bible that it just puts all the parts of the Bible in chronological order. If you guys know that sometimes the Bible kind of jumps around to different places, it could be a little confusing. But it actually is really helpful, it's been really helpful to me to read the story in order. And one thing I've been seeing is just how often it talks about God's glory. But another thing is just like seeing the lives of these heroes, like they, there's some things that they just understood that might really simplify things for me. And I want to read you this verse that kind of like started me on this journey. And I apologize, it might not be as effective if you haven't just like read the whole like 20 chapter story that leads up to it, okay? But if you have, and so this, I guess I'm also doing a plug for like reading the Bible in large chunks, you know, because there's some things that you can get from that, or at least in sequential order. I've been doing a little bit a day because there's some things in that that you can find that you might not find otherwise. So um, this is in Genesis chapter 48. And um, it just really struck me, especially after having read the whole thing. So this is the, the part of the story that is happening here is, um, you know, not to give too much of the many chapter backstory, but um, Jacob, who God renamed Israel, who became the father of the whole nation, right? He had a son named Joseph, and we can talk about him a little bit more in a second. But anyway, his brothers beat him up and sold him as a slave into Egypt, but ended up that he saved the day in Egypt because he had them store up food, and then eventually all his family moved to Egypt and had a happy reunion. This is going over it way too fast. But anyway, they all ended up together. <laughs> and this is, this, this is the end of Jacob's life, and he's going to put a blessing on Joseph and Joseph's two kids who... Um, we're, we're there with them. And, and again, this, this won't, I, it, I don't want to give a disclaimer. Maybe it will be. It maybe it will be just as powerful to you. But after reading the whole story of Jacob and all the things that he went through, just a brief synopsis of that, he tricked his brother out of his birthright. His brother wanted to kill him, but God saved him and helped him run away to his uncle. Then his uncle tricked him and made him work for 14 years to marry the woman that he wanted to marry. But then God sort of was with him so much that then he ended up kind of taking advantage of the uncle and stealing most of his sheep. And then he was really mad, and so he was running away from him. He was running from his uncle towards his brother, and he thought everybody hated him, and he was going to die. Um, and when that was right in the middle of all that, God met him, and they had a wrestling match, like personally. And then God, and he, he wrestled with God, and the angel of the Lord, you know, saw that he wasn't going to overcome him, and so he just put his hip out of joint, and he walked with a limp for the rest of forever, which was a big deal back then when you had to walk everywhere. Anyway, he went on to have a bunch of kids and a lot of family drama, (laughs) and (laughs) then they almost all starved to death because there was a huge famine, but Joseph, having been sent off into Egypt, was the huge blessing, and he ended up bringing his father there and having the happy reunion that, with the son that he thought he was dead. And so that's, that's just a summary of what had happened. So in Genesis 48, Jacob is, and this is verse 15, he's putting a blessing on Joseph. 
and he says, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless these boys, and in them let my name be carried on in the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac. God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked. So that calls on hundreds of years more of history that I won't go through either. But when you read all the story through like that, and you see that at the end of all this, at the end of all of that, the Jacob says, the blessing I put on you is the blessing of the God who has been my shepherd all day long, all, all my days. He just understood who deserved the credit for the fact that he was still alive. And it was that simple. Because this guy was a piece of work. He was a cheater and a trickster and a thief. You know? And, but by the end of his life, he understood where the glory belonged. Was, he's like, it had to have been God that was shepherding me this whole time. How else would I be here? And, you know, because if you read the scripture, if maybe you read the story of Jacob or even of David, these people that God has chosen to be like his people. Like, why? These people are a mess. <laughs> as, as if we're not, you know, but like they were sometimes very obviously a mess, you know, in ways that couldn't be hidden. But I kind of want to put to you that maybe God picked them because he knew they were the ones that would give him glory for the success that they had. You know, Jacob came to the end and he saw no other explanation for the blessings that his life had experienced other than that God had been shepherding him the whole time. Another thing that makes it more powerful is Jacob was a shepherd. He knew everything about taking care of sheep. And he's like, all the, thing, wait, all the things that I've done, this is how God was leading me the whole time. And he took all the glory off of himself and he put it on them like that. You know, he could have been like, you know, I bless you with all of my experience or with all of what I have. But he said, nope, the God of my fathers and the God that has been my shepherd is the biggest blessing that I can give to you. He just understood where that glory belongs. And we could go through, you know, any number of examples of other people. You know, where they got it right was where they understood where the glory was. And when they got it wrong is when they didn't. You know, Joseph himself, he ended up getting sold into slavery by his brothers because he was kind of a punk about the visions that God was giving him. And he was like, hey, I had a dream. You guys are all going to bow down to me, and that's going to be awesome, right? And any of you that have siblings, I don't, but I can just guess that that's probably not going to go over super well. <laughs> he didn't make it easier for himself. So when he went wrong, is because he was trying to take the glory for something God was giving him. But when he went right, he understood when his brothers finally came back and they, he was in the position of power and they thought he was going to kill him, he said, no, the thing that you intended for evil, God intended it for good. And he understood that the glory for all of it went to God. There was no pride. There was no revenge in him, although he did mess with them a little bit before, <laughs> before he let them come back. I don't know. He's just a, just a guy like us. But he, he understood, you know, like that when he got it right. You know, 
Then later when they're, and I'm, this is just the stuff I've been reading in the story. Moses, he understood about the glory of God. He was like, hey, if your glory is not going to go with us, then don't send us. We can't go without you, you know? And when God was talking to him, he's like, now show me your glory, God. He got it. He, he understood. And he only saw like the, the back or the, it's, it's not, we don't even know how to translate that. We, he saw some part of God's glory and his face was glowing for days and he had to put a veil on because he was scaring everybody. Now, when he got it wrong, and the reason he didn't get to go in the promised land is because God told him to like speak to this rock in front of the people and call water forth out of it. And instead, he was like, I'll show you how we provide water. And he whacked it and made it seem like it was him. And God was like, nope, that wasn't it. <laughs> you know, He just took that little bit of God's glory, and God was not willing to share. <laughs> You know, David, the man after God's own heart, and I I won't go through all of them, but like, do you see this? Like the understanding where glory belongs and who the credit goes to is huge. We all know about, you know, David is the man after God's own heart. We know about his biggest, well, his most famous mistake is Bathsheba, right? But do you guys know the story of David's other big mistake? I mean, there might have been more than one other one. But one time he decided he just was very feeling very impressed with the nation that he had, and he decided he was just going to count them all. Like, let's see how many, how awesome I really am <laughs> as the king of this country. And God had given specific rules about that, and he didn't follow any of them, and he just started counting. And then, like, thousands of people started dying from a plague that he brought on, and uh, it didn't stop until he asked God for forgiveness, right? So when David got it wrong, it was because that temptation to take some of the glory and and be all about himself came in. When he got it right, he wrote most of the book of Psalms. The heavens declare the glories of God. In your presence is fullness of life and pleasure forevermore. Um, And countless, countless others, right? His Despite his mistakes, the general tenor of his life was a life that was lifting God up and making himself small. He was usually remarkably humble. He had a moment where he wasn't. Some moments. And we could go on and on and on, right? And we know that's important because it's the same way that the devil tried to get Jesus all the way through the end of the story, like to Jesus... Satan, when, he, when Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness, he lifted him up in a high place and he said, look at all the glory of the earth, all this could be yours. And he tried to get Jesus to do that thing that all the other people had messed up on and take, take the glory for himself. Thankfully, Jesus, Jesus knew. And even though for him it wouldn't have been robbery to be considered equal with God, Paul says, he humbled himself and became a servant. And his prayer when we read in John 17 was, Father, you bring me glory as I bring you glory. Ah, there's so much, there's so much in that. I'm going too long because we need to take some time and like experience this glory. Um I do want to take a brief 
minute to say that God will get glory from your life no matter what you do. Um, it's just that, you know, going back to the Genesis story, it says that God gained glory through Pharaoh, who wouldn't let the people go. But Pharaoh realized who the glory belonged to at the bottom of the Red Sea. And the Israelites realized it when they were walking through. So there's a big difference, and we want to be, we want to be on the right one. Like God, God is not going to be defeated in his, like, it's not like we can stymie his mission to receive glory, but we want to be a part of it in a way that also benefits us. And the, because that's the true order of the world, he made it such that when we participate in his glory willingly, we receive blessing from that also. So God's glory is inherent to who he is. It's not lacking because of anything we do, but it reflects back to him as we experience it, right? So we want to take the time to experience it. We want to recognize it for what it is, like Jacob did, right? Like, oh, all of this surviving by miracle that I have done is because of Jesus. And then it also reflects back to him when we tell other people about it. That's one of the things that David got so right. Magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together, he said. Let's make God big and let's let us ourselves be small the way it's supposed to be. Every one of those things brings God glory. And in fact, you know, kind of wrapping it all up, Paul says in 1 Corinthians that whatever you do, in word or deed, you should do it all, what? For the glory of God. It's just a concept that we don't think about enough. At least I don't. I don't think about it. What a great check to put on your life as you're deciding whether to do something. Can I do this to God's glory? If not, then I shouldn't do it, you know? Is the way I'm about to talk to my kids something I can do to God's glory? A good question. Is the way I'm about to spend my time something that can be glorious to God? And not to be too sober about it, because I think there's a lot of ways that we can. God made us in specific ways to reflect parts of his glory. If you're creative and you create something, you're reflecting God's glory. But he gets even more glory if you notice that that's what's happening, and if you're willing to tell people that that's what's happening also instead of trying to take it for yourself, or even, honestly, worse, be like, oh, it was nothing. That doesn't bring God glory, because if it's nothing, then it's just, it's nothing. The right thing is, anything that was good about this is God. And there are ways to say that without sounding like a punk, but it takes a little more relationship and consideration, you know, than just a throwaway answer. Just some some side thoughts there that I I wanted to throw out there. So, whatever we do, we're to do to the glory of God. I want to read one more thing here. And this is kind of a way that we can tune our hearts to this. You know, it's not, I don't want to make it seem like it's 
too hard because it is what we were meant to do, right? Paul says in Philippians 4, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Every one of those is a reflection of the glorious God that made the world. And if we can turn our hearts toward those things, then we will, we will live out the glory of God in a way that people could see. It'll, it'll start to flow out of us like it flows out of him, right? From glory to glory, we'll be changed into the image of God.